Good morning, and welcome to worship. So glad to see you today. Got a handful of announcements for you. Lots of exciting stuff going on. And uh, first off, I just want to thank uh, Hudson for filling the pulpit last Sunday. Uh, always do a fantastic job. Thank you for doing that. And uh, uh, so good to be home. Missed you guys. It's always weird not being here on Sunday for me. You know, you just, you're missing out. You know, you know you're missing out. And you don't get to see the people you love and you're used to seeing on Sunday. But it's good to be home. Uh, we have got a nursery up and going, and I want to give just a special thanks to everybody who has uh, uh, volunteered to help out with that. I mean, I'll tell you, the, the, the response has just been fantastic. Uh, uh, we, we've got the thing staffed, but uh, if you still would like to participate and help out with that, uh, there's the opportunity to do that. So you can talk to me or talk to Pamela. We'd be happy to get you plugged in. And uh, guys, this is, a, this is a great opportunity for uh, you to serve with you alongside your wife. So, uh, you know, if you, you're married, uh, uh, think about that. And you know what? They, they don't bite real hard. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to, all right, I'm going to digress. Years ago, before Pamela and I had children, one of the first areas we served together in church was in the nursery. All right? And she was so excited to sign up. The church needed help. She signed us up. And we only, I think we served about once every month or six weeks or something like that. Every other week. Every other week, was it? And uh, uh, I was terrified. I was terrified. And uh, we had little kids. I think they're about two years old. And, and, you know, they're up walking around. And I remember going back there one Sunday. And, and the most horrific thing happened. You're not selling it. You're not selling it. No, no, no. <laughs> It's selling, trust me. <laughs> little boy needed to go to the restroom. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, and they had a little restroom right off the side of the room there, and, and I was just terrified, you know. And uh, took the little guy in there, and he did his thing, and I helped him put his pants back on, and we came out. And uh, I just felt relieved that that was done. And Pam said, you need to go back. And I said, what are you talking about? And I looked at the little boy, and... I put both legs down the same <laughs> side of the shorts, and he was doing this. <laughs> uh, but see, those are the kind of memories that can be made. So, <laughs> so thank you for uh, thank you for rising up and uh, 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 to this wonderful opportunity. Uh, the Change of Life fundraiser with the Brennan Pregnancy Center. It goes on through the end of the month. In fact, I spoke to Dr. Phillips a moment ago. And she said, um, you know, just, uh, you know what, if we can have the bottles back by the first Sunday in March, that would be fantastic. So you still got a couple of weeks, and uh, be sure to bring those bottles back and support this wonderful ministry. Also, uh, Miss Catherine Cook is planning a women's lunch, and uh, it's going to be at uh, Sweet Ivy's Cafe in Brenham at 11 o'clock this Saturday. And so if uh, you would like to attend that event, just talk to Miss Catherine right over here. I, you, you need to have it. You're kind of an RSVP by tomorrow, right? Yes. Okay. So this is Miss Catherine right here on the front in the blue sweater. Come talk to her, and uh, she will uh, be very happy to get you get you set up to go and uh, uh, join the ladies for lunch. Uh, Grief Share is meeting on Wednesday evenings here at the museum. Uh, this is from 6.15 to 7.45. This is a, a ministry that uh, we, we, we've been providing for a little bit of time since we've been here in the museum. And it's a wonderful, wonderful 
uh, uh, ministry. So if, if you or, or someone you know is experiencing uh, the grief that comes with a loss, uh, this is a wonderful place of healing, uh, an opportunity to uh, 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 really uh, get some good, solid uh, biblical counsel and help and uh, apply some biblical principles to your situation as you walk together through some difficult times. You can talk to Keith or Denise uh, about grief share. Denise, are you here? I don't see Denise, uh, but anyways, uh, you can talk to Keith or Denise if you're interested and you need more information. Last thing is this. Um, I'm going to send you a link this afternoon via email, so be watching for it. And uh, this, is a, uh, this link is to a petition to start uh, a Life, uh, LifeWise Academy in our area. Now, what LifeWise does is they provide biblical education to public school students. And boy, what a wonderful opportunity this is. And so uh, I want to send this to you, encourage you to put your name on the petition. And uh, this, is, this, is a, this isn't just a good opportunity for the young people in our community to gain some understanding of the scripture and who Christ is. But it also provides some opportunities for us to become involved and, uh, in uh, helping our young people uh, to come to understand this. So uh, LifeWise Academy in Brenham providing biblical education for uh, Brenham ISD students. And uh, that's the last of the announcements. Uh, let's, uh, let's enter into a time of prayer, and then we'll get into worship. Father, we are very thankful to you for this, this uh, wonderful day that you've given us. We thank you, God, for meeting us here today. You always show up, and uh, your presence here among us is something that's it's just undeniable. And I think everybody who comes into this place on Sunday morning and experiences this time together, uh, I think that they could all walk out and say, I've experienced uh, the presence of God in a wonderful way today. And we thank you, Lord, for, uh, for meeting us here this morning. And our prayer, as always, is that you be honored and glorified and uh, that the name of Jesus Christ would be very highly exalted and that the greatness of our Savior would be something that's just uh, increased in our understanding and, and Lord, just overwhelm us again with, with your wonderful love and your magnificence towards us. And uh, Father, as uh, we come together this morning, we, we do have uh, uh, concerns. We've got folks we love who are dealing with some difficulties. Uh, there's, there are folks dealing with COVID and the flu and allergies and all kinds of physical ailments. We've got folks who are hurting uh, emotionally and uh, uh, need Lord, they're grieving, and, and they need your touch. Uh, we've got folks who are, who've had surgeries and who are anticipating some surgery and just have some other physical ailments. And God, you meet us in the midst of all of those things. Uh, you've got purpose in every bit of the difficulty that we face in life, all of it. There's nothing that goes without purpose in your economy. And Lord, that's a relief to know because it, it just, or just be a heartbreaking thing to believe or to think that the sufferings that we endure, as great or small as they may be, are, are for nothing. But Lord, you got purpose in it all, and uh, you've got wonderful purpose in it all. So, Father, that makes it a... Lord, it just, at the end of it all, it just makes the suffering and the difficulty worth it when we look back and see, we see what you've accomplished through it. But in the meantime, we do pray that you would help us. We pray that you would bring healing. We pray that you would relieve pain. We pray, God, that you would... Uh, Lord, just do what you do in the lives of your people. Now, Lord, as uh, we uh, set into song and uh, proclaiming your word, we pray that you be well honored and glorified. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Could we stand together?
all be seated for a minute if you'd like to. I'm going to read a passage from, uh, from Genesis 15. This is a wonderful passage. Uh, people get all these strange ideas about how you can work your way into heaven, do the right thing, pray the right thing, keep all the rules and all that. And um, I can't do it because I'm not very good at keeping the rules. Uh, but when you read the Bible, you find the, can y'all hear or no sound? Okay. So when you read the scripture, what you're going to find is that, that promise, that the idea that you're saved based on faith, is embedded there right there early on. And this is in the life of Abraham. Um, after these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. And here's our key passage. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. What a powerful statement. Um, people are always saved by faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we celebrate you in this moment, in this hour of corporate worship. We praise you for your mercy. We praise you for your grace. You are our sure foundation, and we thank you for the gift of righteousness that you gave to Abraham in response to his faith. That gift of righteousness you gave to us in response to our faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Teach us your precepts today, Lord. Give us understanding of your ways, Lord. Direct our paths. And may you be glorified by our lives as we walk following your spirit. We love you. We adore you. This is your moment, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.
praise you for who you are today, for your salvation that you brought us. We praise you for the way you work in every circumstance. We praise you for the fact that you were in charge, you were in control. Lord, I lift up this church body this morning and pray that we would trust you, each circumstance, each life, that we would trust you and we would lean into you. Pray that our eyes would see you as best we can for who you are. Holy, perfect, gracious, sacrificial, just, powerful, omniscient, omnipresent. All the things that your word teaches us about who you are. Pray that we would, that we would see that in our daily lives. We would trust you and follow hard after you. The one who is holy, perfect, and good. We praise you this morning and ask that you open our ears now to the reading of your word and the message that you're bringing through through Mel. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all be seated, please. such a great job. Well, good morning again. I want to invite you, if you will, take your Bible, open up to Galatians chapter 4. If you have your Bible with you, if not, of course, we always have the references up here on the screen for you. Make life a little easier. Um, you know, we uh, uh, are going through this wonderful book. And, uh, you know, about nine years ago, uh, a runner named Michael Wardian set a world record. Uh, actually, he broke his old record. He held several records in this regard. But he set a world record time running a 50K marathon on a treadmill. <laughs> you imagine that. 
Uh, he did it, in, I think, in just under three hours. Uh, but uh, he, he holds uh, against several records like this. And uh, commenting on this business of running marathons on uh, uh, treadmills, he said this. He says, it's difficult because you always know where you are, so you can't trick yourself. Uh, you just... <laughs> You just look down and you know where you are. And uh, if you've ever used a treadmill, you know what that's like. I've never run a 50K on a treadmill. I don't think I've done 1K on a treadmill altogether <laughs> my whole life. But uh, you know how that is. You know, you're in, you know, it's just, that's just how it is. And, uh, but you know, and, but we know whether or not you've been on a treadmill, I, I think that what he's saying about running a 50K and never really getting anywhere is something we can all kind of relate to because I think spiritually speaking, a lot of us are running on a treadmill. Um, you know, since the day we placed our faith in Jesus Christ virtually for a lot of us, we've been running on a treadmill. And even some of us necessarily who, who aren't, uh, you know, uh, church-going folk or what have you, they're, they're on this spiritual treadmill and uh, uh, years pass by, nothing ever changes. And uh, uh, what I'm getting at is this, is... Um, this business of, of relying on ourselves to please God, looking to our, in our within ourselves, uh, looking to our own resources, our own goodness, our own ingenuity, our own abilities to please God, it's like running on a daggum treadmill. It just really is. I mean, you run and run and run, and it never gets you anywhere. You can run 50K and still be in the same place uh, because that's where human effort gets you with God. That's where our best effort gets us with God. Because the fact of the matter is, the scripture says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even on our best day, we're sinners. And so that ought to tell you, on your best day, even on your best day, it's, you're not getting anywhere. You're not, you're not doing anything to impress God or earn yourself any, any points with Him. Uh, run 10,000 miles, never get anywhere. Uh, never experiencing the, the, uh, uh, the beauty and the abundance of his grace. Never experiencing the freedom uh, for which he set us free. And uh, the Galatians, you know, the, this, this little church, Paul, you know, he's, he's, he knows this church well. And uh, he, he, he started the church and uh, he, he led these people to Christ, uh, taught them the basics of the faith. Um, he learns that the Galatians, this church that he loves, uh, they are being convinced by some folks that is, you know, to, to get themselves on the treadmill. Uh, they've placed their faith in Christ, but people were coming in and saying, hey, that's great, you've got faith in Jesus, but you know what? You've got to adhere to the Mosaic law. You've got to, re you've got to put your reliance on the law. It's good you've got Jesus, but boy, you've really got to start keeping these commandments, these rites, these rituals, doing all these things, beginning with circumcision, by the way. If you want to really be pleasing to God, if you really want to be right with God, you've got to work hard to do that. Now, again, there's this matter of obeying the law. We're not saying that you know being free from the law means that we don't obey the law. Being free from the law means we don't rely on the law. Right, there's a difference between obeying the law and relying on it. Uh, relying on the law means we're looking at the law and this list of do's and don'ts and all these crazy things uh, as some recipe for making ourselves right with God. And that's the treadmill. And Paul is warning the Galatians, get yourself off that treadmill. You're not going to go anywhere. Everything just comes to a screeching halt. As hard as you're running, you're not getting anywhere with God. And uh, we come here to the end of Galatians chapter 4. And for you know all, all these chapters, these several chapters, uh, Paul has been making his argument. 
uh, trying to help them to understand the role of the law in the life of the believer and the role of grace in the life of the believer. And, uh, uh, you know, this, we talk, you know, as we go through these chapters, I know that some of this begins to sound kind of redundant or repetitive, but I hope that you don't view it as just repetitive stuff. I hope that you can see here as we're going through these chapters that Paul's not just repeating the same stuff. He's expanding it. He's building it. He's building an argument. And now as we come here to the end of chapter 4, he's he's kind of uh, making his closing argument uh, for this matter of grace and law and how these two things relate. And uh, getting into chapter 5, he's going to start teaching us how to live in reliance not on the law but in reliance on the Holy Spirit uh, to fulfill uh, you know, for, for fulfilling the law and living in obedience to God. And so uh, this is what he says beginning in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. And uh, we're going to go through the end of the chapter and into the first verse of the next chapter because uh, this is where, you know, these things are all tied together. He says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he was born according to the flesh, uh, uh, persecuted he who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So... So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he settles the whole argument right here. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. All right, so uh, uh, tell me you who want to be under the law, he says, speaking just just right directly to the Galatians, do you not listen to the law? And he's perplexed, all right? We've already seen that he is just perplexed by the fact that the Galatians have done this. After being saved by grace through faith, adopted into the family of God, made heirs of the kingdom of God, that uh, after all of that, they would decide to enslave themselves to the law. Uh, that they would decide, you know what, we're going to jump on this treadmill and uh, uh, start trying to, you know, please God in our own efforts and by our own work. We're going to rely on the law now to do, uh, you know, to to accomplish the thing that we just simply cannot do. And so he says to them, you want to be under the law? Don't you even know what the law says? Don't you know what the law says? He's about to make his final appeal to them, and it's going to be drawn right out of the law itself right out of the book of Genesis. And uh, then in verses 22 and 23, he points again to the book of Genesis and the account of Abraham, right? You know, the account of Abraham and his two sons. He had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, and uh, one, uh, uh, one by his wife, Sarah, and the other by uh, a slave woman named Hagar. And Paul says that this account found in the law, uh, in the Torah itself, is an illustration of why no one in his right mind 
would want to go back to this treadmill that no one would no one wants to be under the law you don't you don't want to do this and uh this is again this is an actual historical thing now he says you know in verse 24 uh, you know i'm speaking allegorically here that doesn't mean that the story of abraham is just a made-up thing all right it's it's an actual historical event but what he's saying is is in this story we find some elements uh <laughs> that are rather symbolic of, 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 of how, we, how we interact with God and how salvation occurs and how we relate to God as God desires for us to relate to Him. And uh, an allegory, it, it's, it's, it's uh, it, you know, it, it's, what that means is that, you know, there's hidden meaning there and, and uh, these various elements, uh, you, know, the, the, the sto- you know, in the story, the objects, characters, the things that they do, again, there's, there's some symbolic meaning there. And uh, you know, I gotta tell you, um, Paul can do this <laughs> uh, because he was the Apostle Paul and he's writing under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit so he can do this. Uh, we don't have license to simply interpret the Bible allegorically. Now, there are areas where that's an appropriate thing and it's made clear in the text whenever it's appropriate uh, in some way, but this is not a recipe for just reading the Bible because if, if you just read the Bible allegorically and you're just looking for symbol, you can make it mean anything you want. Uh, but anyways, uh, Paul says that there are some allegorical elements in the story of Abraham, and uh, these things support the argument that he's been making for the last several chapters. And uh, Abraham first appears in the Bible in Genesis chapter 11. All right, and in Genesis chapter 12, God called him out of his homeland, Ur of the Chaldeans, and he made some promises to Abraham. And uh, uh, one of the most one of the prominent promises there is Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. And that promise was that God would make him into a great nation. I will make you into a great nation. I'll make your name great. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And uh, now Abraham, he was 75 years old whenever God made that promise to him, all right? So he wasn't a spring chicken. And uh, his wife, Sarah, was 65 and uh, she couldn't bear children. She never could ha- uh, bear children. And so, you know, you've got some obstacles here, right? There's, some, there's very clearly some obstacles. Because if you're going to become a great nation and your descendants are going to be numerous, well, you've got to be able to have kids in order for that to happen, all right? So there's some, there's some physical obstacles here uh, uh, that, that kind of make this look rather problematic. And so we're, we're naturally to understand here that the deck was stacked against Abraham and Sarah. God had just made an impossible promise to them uh, from a human standpoint. But it says that Abraham believed God, okay? And that's the definition of faith. He did as God told him to do because he trusted God. All right, he left his homeland because he believed God would keep his word. Now, you get to Genesis chapter 15, and 10 years have gone by. And uh, Abraham was 85 years old now, Sarah was 65, and they still had no children. All right, so the deck just got a little thicker. This deck that was stacked against them just got a little bit thicker and a little bit steeper. And uh, they were starting to worry about the promise. All right, that's kind of a natural thing. This is the ebb and flow of faith. They, you know, Abraham trusted God. He left his home, went where God told him to go, believing that God would fulfill this promise. Now here they've been there for 10 years and still no children. They're starting to wonder what's going on here. So the, the faith is starting to ebb a little bit and uh, uh, wondering, you know, is God going to keep this promise? And God knew this was going on. So in Genesis chapter 15, uh, the, that passage that Hudson read for you a moment ago, uh, God reaffirmed his promise. 
All right, and in chapter 5, he takes Abraham, or chapter 15, rather, verse 5, he takes Abraham outside, and uh, he, he says, look towards the heavens uh, and count the stars, if you're even able to count them. And he says, that's, that's, what, your, that's, so, that's what your descendants are going to be. That's how many descendants you're going to have. All right, this promise I'm making to you, I haven't forgotten about it. It's going to happen. Your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And in verse 6, it says, Abram believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And like Hudson said a moment ago, that is a very important statement. Righteousness before God is never accomplished in any other way than this. All right, it's not by hard work, not by effort, not by any of that stuff. You, you can only be, only, you, the only way to be righteous in the presence of God is for him to declare you righteous, and he declares you righteous simply because you trust him. And that flies right in the face of what we, we, we believe and what we think, even as Christians. You can be a Christian your whole life, and there's still this tendency to believe that you contribute something to this equation. You know, I've been a pastor for 25 years, and I can't tell you how many times you talk to people about going to church. Well, pastor, I got you know I got some things I got to straighten out before I go to church. <laughs> you know, then that's the idea we've got. You know, we, we've got this idea kind of built into us that we can straighten some things out and make ourselves um, appropriate in God's presence in some ways. Well, here here you have it. I mean, Abraham believed the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteous. Um, had nothing to do with Abraham other than the fact that Abraham believed him. And you've got to hang on to that because it's an infinitely important statement. Uh, God reckoned Abraham as righteous, not because he was uh, a, a good, morally upright man, not because he was in good standing at his church, not because he obeyed the rules, not because he was baptized, became a member of a church somewhere, not because he put in a, hard, a lot of hard work and straightened himself up so the roof wouldn't cave in when he got there and all that kind of thing you hear. He, didn't, he wasn't reckoned as righteous because he prayed and read his Bible. All right? He wasn't reckoned righteous because he kept the golden rule, did unto others before others did to him or what have you. He, he didn't, it wasn't any of that stuff. He simply took God at his word. God, you said it and I believe it. Righteous, there you go. It's as simple as that. He believed that God would accomplish for him the thing that he could not accomplish for himself. God made promises. Abraham said, I believe you. God says, I reckon he was righteous then. He had faith. But even this man of faith, I mean, it, it, it wasn't always, an, you know, the, the faith wasn't always an easy thing. There, there were times when the faith got weak, like we see here in chapter 15. He starts to wonder. And God comes back, he reaffirms the promise. What happens in chapter 16? Well, the, the faith kind of gets weak again. I mean, you know, you get into chapter 16, and, and they're, they're just continuing to wait on God, and they're starting to think, well, you know what? Maybe God is expecting us to do something here. He's made this promise, but maybe he needs a little help. Maybe there's something we've got to kick in. Maybe there's some contribution we've got to make to the, towards the fulfillment of this promise. And so Sarah comes up with an idea, right? You know, hey, maybe God helps those who help themselves. I've got an idea here. Uh, uh, she, she had an Egyptian slave woman named Hagar. You know, they spent some time in Egypt, and that's where they, this, this slave woman came into their, their picture. And uh, this woman was Sarah's handmaid. 
And so uh, she, she, she gave Hagar to Abraham so he could uh, uh, try to have a child through her. And, you know, that, that seems really strange. You know, what woman in her right mind, you know, that kind of a deal. But, you know, this is how they solve problems of infertility in those days. Right? This is just, that's just how they did it. You know, it's just a worldly solution to, you know, uh, you know life's problems. And it just doesn't work out. Uh, but it did, you know, it worked. And Hagar conceived. Uh, she gave birth to a son who she named Ishmael. Uh, but, you know, the, the point here is this, is this is them on that treadmill I was talking about a while ago, that spiritual treadmill. We're going to do something here to help God. We're going to do something here to please God. We're going to do something that will cause the fulfillment of God's promise to come into our lives. You know, when God makes promises, we don't have to do things to cause them to be fulfilled. God fulfills his promises in his own way, in his own time, in his own power, by his own resources, all by himself. With or without you, he's going to do his, he's going to do what he's promised to do. But we have this idea sometimes that we got to kind of help him along. There's stuff we got to do to kind of trigger him to bring it to fulfillment. And uh, so, anyways, they're on that treadmill, and uh, you know, Hagar she realizes she's conceived, and the moment she realizes she has conceived, she begins to treat Sarah poorly. You know, Abraham wasn't the only one in the house who knew about this promise from God. Sarah and Abraham weren't the only two in the house who knew about this problem from God or this promise from God. Hagar knew about this promise too. And the moment she realizes she's conceived, oh, look, I did what she couldn't do. I'm bringing about the fulfillment of God's promise. I imagine that's kind of the thing going through her head, the superiority complex. And so you can kind of see where this, you know, how this, this starts with her treating Sarah poorly. Now, you know, this was, Abraham was 86 whenever the child was born. And they named him Ishmael. And uh, by the time you get to Genesis chapter 17, uh, 13 years have passed. So there's a lot of time between chapter 16 and 17. Ishmael's a, you know, he's a teenager now. Uh, Abraham was 99, and God appears to him again. In, Gen in Genesis chapter 17, verse 16, uh, speaking of Sarah, God says this to Abraham. He says, I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Now that's a reiteration of the original promise. All right? But now God is making it clear that he's going to fulfill it by providing a child through Sarah. The deck is stacked against you guys. I know that. And I think God was waiting for the deck, the deck to just continue to get a little stacked. I mean, here's Abraham. He's, he's 99 years old now. Sarah's about 90. Boy, if this is going to happen, there can't be any question that God's the one who's going to do it. <laughs> I mean, there's just, they're just God has got to have a hand in this thing, right? There's just no other way that it's going to happen. And uh, so, I mean, you know, I'll give you a son through her. Even though you're as good as dead, that's what Romans 4 said. Paul said that Abraham believed God even though he was as good as dead. And even though Sarah's womb was dead. After this event, I mean, the, you know, Abraham just believed it had to, there's only, there's just no way this can happen apart from God. Now, Genesis 17, verse 17, you know, it says that upon hearing this promise that God's going to do this through Sarah, it says Abraham laughed to himself. 
you know, we're used to Genesis 18, you know, God coming and visiting Abraham in the cool of the day in his tent and him talking about Sarah having a baby. Sarah laughs and she kind of gets the bad rap for not having faith. Oh, she laughed and therefore, you know, that's why they, well, Abraham laughed too. This was absurd. He laughed to himself and in verse 18 he says, what about Ishmael? Look, we already got a son, you know, we're past that part. Let's get to the part about, you know, the great nation. No, God says, no, but Sarah, your wife, will bear a son, and I will establish my covenant through him. At this point, Abraham recognizes something. He's learning a lot about God. He's learning a lot about faith. He's learning a lot about what it feels like to be on a treadmill. He realizes we have been trying to do this on our own. We have been trying to bring about the fulfillment of God's promises on our own. We have been doing this in our own effort, and it, it, it hadn't accomplished a thing. We've gotten nowhere. We're not anywhere closer to the fulfillment of God's promise than we were before. It's going to depend on God. Only he can do it, and he always does it. He always does it his way. He always does it in his time. And our role in this, trust Trust me, he says. Just trust me. Let me do my work in my way and in my time. Understand, there's nothing you can do to contribute to this, and I don't expect you to contribute to this. And so when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, God kept his promise, and along came Isaac. That's Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 to 3, where that happened. And again, humanly speaking, this was all impossible. There could be no question that this was a miraculous work of God. And so that's the story that Paul has in mind here at the end of Galatians chapter 4 when he's talking about Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac and, the, and, and Sarah, whose name isn't mentioned, but she's implied there. Uh, and, uh, and the heart of it is, is, is all this is that the one son, Ishmael, this is the allegory. Uh, uh, he, he's going to get that allegory. He says, Ishmael was born of a slave according to the flesh. In other words, this is human effort. This is human achievement. While the other son, Isaac, was born of the free woman through the promise. In other words, God achieved that. And then again, in verse 24, Paul says, this is allegorical. These women represent two covenants. Sarah and Hagar are symbolic of two covenants. Hagar represents the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, which is a covenant of law. came through Moses at Mount Sinai. And just as Hagar, the slave, produced a son who was also a slave, the point here is this, is that's what the law produces. Reliance on the law makes slaves out of people. Reliance on human effort, human achievement will have you doing nothing but running on a treadmill your whole life, never getting anywhere with God. The law doesn't set anyone free. The law doesn't declare anyone righteous. The law simply keeps those who are under it in spiritual bondage. It declares them guilty and it condemns. It calls for their death. And then in verse 25, Paul says that Hagar and the Mosaic law correspond with the present Jerusalem, right? He's talking about the physical city, the holy city. And uh, he says her children are slaves. And what he's talking about there is this whole Judaism, this system of Judaism, which was, uh, look, when we talk about Judaism in, in, in New Testament times particularly, we're, we're, we've got to understand that that was not biblical 
religion that they were practicing. All right, God had given them the law, no doubt about it, Mosaic law, but they weren't living necessarily, they were living in reliance on the law to do things that the law was never meant to do. And so this whole idea of, of, of Jerusalem, they're, it's, it's, they're, they're slaves. They're, no, they're, 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 they're Jewish people living under the Mosaic covenant. They're no different than Ishmael. They're all slaves, spiritually speaking. And as long as they remain under that covenant, they're never going to be declared righteous. They'll never be free. Because as long as they're relying upon the law, they're not trusting God. They're trusting themselves. But in verse 26, he says to the Galatians, he goes, but the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. He's talking about heaven, right? We're free. We're not in bondage to the law, living in reliance upon it. We're, 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 we're not under its condemnation. We're not in spiritual bondage. Like Abraham, we're counted righteous and we're counted as children of God and we're counted as righteous children of God for the exact same reason Abraham was counted as a righteous child of God, simply because he believed God. He took God at his word because we trust him to do the thing for us that we can't do for ourselves, which is to put us in right standing with himself. So there you have it. I mean, Abraham has two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, born of two mothers, Hagar and Sarah, representing two covenants, old covenant of law, new covenant of promise and grace, two Jerusalems, uh, you know, the, the one here on earth, uh, you know, that's characterized by people working hard and, and relying upon their own achievement. Uh, and, and the other is, is the heavenly Jerusalem uh, whose citizens are, are people who don't rely upon the law but rather rely upon the grace of God. Hagar, the slave, represents law, bondage, death, and condemnation. Sarah, the free woman, represents grace, freedom, life, and justification. And you know, it's funny because in the scripture, you know, Jesus talks, uh, I think it's in John 8, he talks to the, he's talking to the Jews about the fact that, the, that they're enslaved. <laughs> and they're like, wait, we're sons of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone and basically, Jesus says, you know, he had two kids, right? And that's what Paul's pointing out here. Same thing Jesus pointed out. Look, I know who your daddy is. The key question is, who's your mama? <laughs> right? That's the thing that matters here. Ishmael was a son of Abraham too, but he was a slave. Who's your mama? I like saying that. <laughs> it's the street in me. I guess. <laughs> All right, we come to the final verses of the chapter. That's what I love about y'all. Y'all put up with me and mine. Come to the final verses of the chapter, and, and this is the big point of it all, right? This is everything that Paul has been working up to since the beginning of the book. And he says in verse 20, he says, You, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. You're children of promise. That's an amazing statement. And what's he talking about here? 
I mean, he's been talking about Abraham, right? And Abraham's been the example here of faith. It's an ebb and flow in faith, and there's, boy, you know, he's placed his faith in God, but every now and then he finds himself back on the track. We, we do that, but he's now he's saying, you're like Isaac, you're children of the promise. And, and he, again, he's pointing back to that promise that God made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. We're part of the fulfillment of that promise. Abraham couldn't fulfill it. God fulfilled it. God is fulfilling it. God is in the process of fulfilling it. And you're part of the fulfillment of it. You're one of those stars in that nighttime sky that God showed Abraham when he took him outside and said, look up and count them if you can. Like Isaac, I mean, we are a, we're a supernatural, miraculous work of God. You know, Jesus talks in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, the Pharisee, remember, came to him at nighttime, and he says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus just couldn't figure this out. What are you saying? I mean, how can I physically, you know, and Jesus, no, no, I'm not, that's not what I'm, it was a confusion. He's talking about a spiritual rebirth. God brings it about, just like God brought about the real birth of Isaac and the literal fulfillment of that promise. It's a miraculous work of God whenever God makes us new and makes us right with himself. We're the offspring of his promised Abraham and it's fulfilled through Christ. And we didn't cause that. We didn't cause that. God caused it. God made that happen. It's entirely his work, not our work. Only thing we did was trust him to do it on our behalf. He promised that he would do this. We placed our faith in him. We trusted him to do it, and he did it. And we can say the exact same thing Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I'm a child of God. By the grace of God, I'm a child of promise. By the grace of God, I'm redeemed. I'm justified. I'm declared innocent. Separated from my sin as far as the east is from the west, having an inheritance in his kingdom, not because of all the hard religious work that I did, not because I relied upon the law, but simply because I relied upon him to do this for me because I couldn't do it for myself. And I tell you, by the grace of God, I am what I am. That ought to be our mantra. You know, I mean, it's what we remind ourselves all the time. This is a truth that remains, it's got to remain at the forefront of our mind. Not something that just kind of slips back into the dark recesses we think about sometimes randomly. By the grace of God, I am what I am. We've got to remind ourselves of that continually because the fact of the matter is, is that this legalistic tendency is built into each and every one of us. It's part and parcel with the sin nature. That deceptive sin nature That self-focused, sinful nature, it's the lie that we hear most frequently and we hear it from ourselves. I'm pleasing to God because I do this. I can be more pleasing to God if I do that. 
or God would be happier with me if I quit doing this. The emphasis there is entirely on rules and what I can do to make myself good and pleasing to God and impressive perhaps to others. That's legalism is dangerous. We've got to be on guard against it continually because it rears its, its, its ugly head constantly because our sinful nature wires up to, to depend upon ourselves and not on God. We've got to be reminding ourselves, I mean, constantly by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this is so vitally important, Paul says, because legalism is the sworn enemy of grace. Do you understand that? The idea that I can do this, that's the sworn enemy of faith in God. And he says that. That's what Paul says here. He says in verse 29, going back to that story about Ishmael and Isaac again. Remember I told you a while ago, Hagar conceived and she, oh boy, I'm carrying the son of promise. Creating all those problems in the household. Went on for 13 years, and then Isaac comes along. Oh, here's the real son of promise. You've been under delusion. Boy, you think that made her say, oh, well, you know, okay, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little humbled here. You know, I'm sorry. You know, can we just let, but no, it, it, she hated Isaac. Hagar hated Isaac. Ishmael hated Isaac. You imagine how spoiled that kid must have been. Oh, the child of promise. What do you want for dinner? We'll have whatever Ishmael wants to eat. I mean, I, you know, that's just me and my imagination, but <laughs> Ishmael hated Isaac. And one time when Ishmael was about 13 years old, or about 16 years old, Isaac was a few years old, Sarah found Ishmael taunting Isaac in some way, mocking him in some way. He was picking on him in some way. You got this big teenage boy picking on this little toddler. And so in Genesis chapter 21, verse 10, she said to Abraham, get him out of here. I want this woman and her son out of my house. And this troubled Abraham because after all, this still, Ishmael was still his son. And so he goes to God and God says, well, uh, do, what, do what she says. Get him out. Paul references that right here in this passage in verse 30. Just as Ishmael was the enemy of Isaac, so legalism is the very enemy of, of God. Yeah, that's the point there in verse 30. You got to get him out. Get Ishmael out of the house. You got to get the legalism out. This reliance on the law, you got to be vigilant against it because it is the enemy of faith. It's the enemy of God's grace, always has been. And if you entertain it and give in to those little tendencies, they're going to enslave you. They're going to put you on a treadmill. They're going to have you running and running and running and running and never getting anywhere. And the whole time you're on that treadmill, the only thing you're going to see are the walls in front of you and the ground below you. You're not going to see the grace of God. You're not going to see the beauty of His, of His, of His goodness and His kindness towards you. You're not going to experience the blessedness of His presence and the joy and the fulfillment that comes by living in reliance upon Him. It's not that those things are no longer going to be available to you. You're just not going to experience them because your focus is the treadmill. 
you doing what you can do to get yourself nowhere. Legalism will always steer you away from grace. Always shift your focus away from Jesus Christ onto yourself. Always shift your dependence away from Jesus Christ and onto yourself. And when that happens, it's just going to, it's, I mean, the grace of God continues to pour out towards you, but you're not going to drink it up. And I'll tell you what, this focus on self, it'll take you out of touch with reality. It takes Christians out of touch with reality all the time. It'll always have you comparing yourself to everybody else. And all this hard work, boy, I, I think I'm more spiritual than, than him because I don't talk the way he does. You know, I'm more spiritual than him because, you know, he misses so much church. I'm more spiritual than she is because, you know, or, or it'll take you in the other direction. Wow, I'm not like them. You know, I've got to work on Sundays and I miss church or or. Gosh, you know, uh, I've got this issue, this sin that's I'm constantly just, it just it's just always got me down. And, you know, you get you you can take it in one of two directions where you believe yourself to be spiritually superior or spiritually inferior to everybody else. It's all based upon you and your performance. It's a performance driven thing. Legalism will take you to that place. It just will. Arrogant and proud or, or depressed because you feel like you're a failure uh, some or some mixture, and that, that's just part of the bondage of it all. So what do you do? You cast it out, Paul says in verse 31. Get it out. Be vigilant against it. Because in chapter 5, verse 1, he says this, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Live by the Spirit, not by the law. Doesn't mean you don't obey the law. It means you don't rely on the law. And uh, that, 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 you know, the only way to fulfill the law is whenever you're doing it in dependence upon God, His grace, and His power working in and through you. And, and that's going to be the focus of the last couple of chapters of this book as uh, we begin to get into that next week. Uh, I tell you, um, I, hope this is, I hope this type of a message, this type of a, a passage helps you to kind of go, <sighs> what a relief. It's not dependent upon me. You know, it can do that. This type of message can do that. But you know, on the other hand, this type of message can kind of cause some people to kind of tense up. You know, I think of Jesus, you know, dying on the cross. Remember that? Luke chapter 23, around 40-something, around that verse. You know, he's on the cross in between two thieves. And the one thief is mocking him. And the other thief says, you know, I don't mock him. He's done nothing wrong. We're getting what we deserve. But this man is innocent. And he looks at Jesus and he says, remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus prayed a promise to him. He says, I t he goes, truly I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise. I mean, that outpouring of grace towards a man 
who did not have the opportunity to straighten himself up. He didn't have the opportunity to turn over a new leaf, get his act together. He didn't, I mean, he didn't have the opportunity to get baptized or join a church. Didn't have time for a seminary class and to get all his theology right. He simply trusted Jesus to do for him what he, could, what he couldn't do for himself. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And we look at that picture and what a beautiful picture of God's grace it is and we love it. The grace of God demonstrated towards an undeserving man, not deserving in any way. By his own admission, I'm getting what I deserve as I hang on this cross. But that same grace that makes us feel so good can also cause us to be a little nervous. Because you know what that means? It means that anyone can be saved. Anyone can be saved. We can think of some people in the world that are just pretty horrible people, much worse than we are. They do things we would never dream of doing. And the grace of God is for them too. Yeah. You know, that's why it's called amazing grace. If it ain't amazing grace, it ain't God's grace. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning as we wrap things up. I'm going to be in the very back here in a little bit with Hudson. And if you've got questions about anything you've heard today, if you need to know more about what it means to trust Christ and where to begin with that, uh, if maybe you've been a Christian for many years and you find yourself on the treadmill and you well, how to get off this thing. Well, that's what we're here for is to help you with these things. Let me pray. And uh, I'll hand it back over to these guys and gal. <laughs> and uh, uh, we will... Uh, wrap things up this morning. Lord God, you are so amazing. Your word is so beautiful. And Lord, while your word provides conviction in so many ways, there are times when it just provides a, what a tremendous relief it is to know, God, that, that none of this depends on us. It's all you. It's all by your work that this is accomplished. You don't tell us as sinners, look, straighten up your life. Any more than any of us would walk out the door to a broken down car and tell it to repair itself. It just doesn't make any sense that anyone would do such a thing. Yet we, we have this idea that we've got to fix ourselves. Look, we're broken people. We can't do it. But you can do it. You've promised to do it through the shed blood of Jesus Christ at that cross and his resurrection, God, you have made it possible for us to be made right with you. It's set up on a path of recovery where you begin to restore your, the beauty of your images. Polish us up and help us 
you work on us and you turn us into everything you always desired for us to be through Christ. Lord, that's just something we could never do. We wouldn't even know where to begin. But you've promised to do it for us. And Lord, we trust you. We put ourselves in your hands and God, we pray that you would help us to never try to get ourselves out of your hands and back into our own. We love you. We thank you so much for who you are and all that you've accomplished on our behalf. We praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen.
paid my ransom. 